C.S. Lewis famously said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. What would you say if I told you, and I am going to tell you so you can, you know, what would you say if I told you that your joy is at the very center of God's intention and work in this world? Your joy. Your happiness is his plan. Now, that might strike you differently depending on what your experience is, depending on what your background. Some of you might kind of twinge a little bit at that. Like, well, that's not been my experience. My life's been hard. I've gone through divorces. I've lost, you know, we lost uh, a baby in the womb, or I had lost my job last week, or I, I have been given a diagnosis of cancer or whatever. So how can God be for my joy when life is so hard? Or maybe some of you guys hear me say that, and, and, and you go, well, hold on, Sam. Like, you know, you're not saying that the whole world's about us, right? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. But what if I told you, I'm going to say it again, what if I told you that your joy is at the very center of God's redemptive work? What did you do about that? I used to think when I was, uh, before I was a Christian, pre-Christian Sam, uh, when, when I was not a Christian, I used to have this really bad idea, this really false paradigm that it was Jesus versus my joy. That I could either have one or the other, but I couldn't have both. That's what I thought. Because I looked around and I saw what I perceived to be Christianity and I thought, that just looks really boring. And it's a, it's a religion defined by no's, right? No, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Uh, and, and I knew the, enough about Jesus to know that if he was going to call me, he wanted all of me, right? And so I created this paradigm in my mind, and it kept me away from the gospel. It kept me away from following Jesus because I believed that to follow Jesus was to follow an inferior joy. And that to live in the world was to live in a superior joy. That was the paradigm in which I lived in. And that kept me away from Christ, kept me from submitting. I believed that I would be happier ruling my own life. I believed that I would be happier calling the shots. I believed that the world was where the happiness was and the church was where boring was. That's what I thought. I had a joy issue. See, we assume that Jesus is in competition with our joy because, listen, we assume that our joy and God's glory are different things. Or I shouldn't say different things, that they are in competition with one another. I actually want to quote John Piper on this because this is so, this is so life-changing for me. Your, your glo- or God's glory and your joy are not separate issues. They're very tightly connected. John Piper says, it is when we are most satisfied in him that he is most glorified in us. So his glory, the, he's, God is in the business of his own glory. Did you know that? You want to know what God's doing in the world? He's glorifying himself. And surely you say, well, surely that can't have anything to do with my joy. But the reality is that his glory and your joy come in the same package. He is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. I'm going to talk about joy this morning. I'm going to talk about joy. We are in this series, as I'll get to in a minute, uh, called Emotional Intelligence. And this morning, we're going to talk about joy. And what I want to talk about this morning, though, is I want to talk about supreme joy. I want to talk about deep joy. I want to talk about spiritual joy, soul joy. John 15, are you there? 
I want to tease this out for you really quick here. Jesus talks a lot about joy. And in John 15, it's the part in Jesus' story where he's about to go to the cross and he's saved some of these very important things to teach his disciples until the very last, te- the very last session. Okay, if you've ever been a teacher, you know a lot of times you save your most important material for your last class. Hey, this is the most important things. And Jesus is, is in the upper room with the disciples and he's about to go to the cross, and he's taking this time to communicate some very important truths. And it's in this context that he decides to let us know the true definition of deep joy. Okay, so I want you to read it with me, and then we'll, we'll kind of go back and look at it a little bit later. But punch in here at chapter 15, uh, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, listen, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, what? Full or complete. I want you to notice a couple things here. And we'll go back and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more in a minute. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is concerned for the joy of the disciples. It is on his radar. In fact, it's of utmost importance to him. He wants the disciples to have full joy. He didn't call them so they could be depressed. He didn't call them so that they could just not have joy. He called them to a life of joy. He's concerned about it. Um, I also want you to see here that Jesus' joy is the standard for the joy he wants the disciples to have. Do you see that? He says that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full. So how much joy does Jesus want the church to have? The same amount of joy that Jesus had. What kind of joy does Jesus want you to have? The same joy that he had. That's the standard. But most importantly, what I want you to contemplate and what I want to whet your appetite on here is a question, and what is, that is that what is the process that Jesus is talking about of complete joy or full joy? Because he speaks about it in a, in a sense where it, it hasn't been full yet. It's not full yet. He tells the disciples, I have said these things that your joy may be full. What does that imply? It implies that it's not full yet. I want your joy to be full. I want you to have full joy. What what I'm getting at here is that Jesus wanted the disciples, he wants you and I to understand that joy is a process, not a given. It's a process. It's a pursuit. Joy is a pursuit. He wants the disciples to see that. It is a process. He says it again in John 16. If you flip over one page, 1624, he says the same thing. Until now, you've asked nothing, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. He says it again. And then John the Apostle picks up the idea in his epistle. And first John, he says, I write these things to you that your joy may be full or complete. So the way we think about joy should be to think of it as something that is in need of completion. Now, can I just ask you here this morning, do you desire to have full joy? Come on, that wasn't really a hard question. Do you desire to have full joy? Is that a... Yeah, okay, you do. In fact, everything you do in life is driven by a desire for joy. Did you know that? Why did you get out of bed this morning? Because you thought, you know, I'll probably be happier if I get out of bed than if I stay here. Or, you know, and and maybe you like your bed, okay? But you know that ultimately it's better that you get out of bed and you go and be with the body of Christ, right? Why do you go to work on Monday? Even though you'd probably rather just binge watch Netflix all day. 
Why? Because you know that you'll be happier if you work your job because then you can pay your bills and put food on your table and etc. Right? Your joy, it drives you. The joy is the driver of the human being. It drives us. I know you want full joy. I want full joy. What is Jesus talking about here when he says your joy may be full, complete? That's what we're going to spend this morning contemplating. I want to figure that out. I want to look at the scriptures and ask the question, what is full joy? What is complete joy? What is deep joy? What is supreme joy? Because it's important. It's, it's important to Christ. We are in a series called Emotional Intelligence. This is the third um, part. This is an eight-week series. Now, if you guys are new, we teach through books of the Bible here. That's what we do. But every so often, we pause and we take some time to discuss issues that are very important. And this is an issue that I think is very important. Each of us, as humans, are dealing with emotion. It's part of being a human being. And we need to learn how to deal with our emotions. We need to learn what to do with our emotions, how to think about our emotions. So that's the purpose of this series. Now, just a little bit of review some reminders about what emotional intelligence is, or pardon me, what emotions are. Emotions are, first of all, an intentional design feature of humanity. What I mean by that is that emotion is something God actually built into you. It wasn't an accident. He wasn't like making the, the, you know, the soup of humanity and he like, oops, I dropped too much emotion in. Like that was an, that was an accident. God made you emotional. That's part of the design. We know that because Jesus was emotional. We know that because God himself shows emotion. So we learned a couple weeks ago that, that we are God reflectors. We are imago Dei, image bearers of God, and God shows emotion. Therefore, we show emotion. Your supreme function as a human is to reflect God's nature. And you are most alive when you are most reflecting of God's nature. So to, to stifle emotion is to stifle the imago Dei. Are you with me? To be an emotional creature is to be like God. We've talked about this. Emotions also, we've talked about, are a window into the state of our soul. Emotions are, are the dash lights. They're the things that are sort of knocking um, uh, on, our, on our psyche, saying, hey, there's something going on under here. And what we challenged you guys to do a couple weeks ago was to sift those feelings and to say, why am I feeling this? Because our emotions are fallen. They're in a fallen state. So sometimes our emotions lie to us, don't they? Sometimes my, my emotion says, you, you know, anxiety, feel afraid of something. And then God's word comes in and it, and it actually challenges that, right? So we're, we're to sift our emotions, but our emotions are a window into our soul. Okay, now this is all review, uh, but our intended outcome for this series is to create a body of emotionally whole, emotionally healthy followers of Jesus that feel deeply in the ways Jesus feels. That is the goal of this series. I want us to be Christians that understand that our emotions are God-given gifts, but they must be harnessed and used for the glory of God. They must be surrendered and submitted to God's ultimate truth and God's ultimate reality. So our definition of emotional intelligence was sifting, conforming, and harnessing our emotions to glorify God more fully. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning with the emotion of joy. Okay? You guys ready to get into it? So this morning, as we talk about this subject, we're going to look at four things regarding joy. If you're an outline person, jot these things down. Four sections, four file folders. The first is we're going to talk about Defining joy, defining joy, and we're going to talk about determined joy, we're going to talk about decoding joy, 
And lastly, we're going to talk about defending joy. Defining joy, determined joy, decoding joy, and defending joy. That's our outline. So let's start with defining joy. I want to give some uh, clarity to what I mean when I say the word joy. So what is joy? First of all, very simply, joy is a positive neurological response to something you find delightful. Very simple. Webster's Dictionary defines it like this, and it's actually pretty good. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Okay, so that's what joy is. Now, joy has many dimensions or synonyms, uh, delight, happiness, elation, gladness, pleasure. Joy also has cousins uh, that we're going to lump in, satisfaction, contentment. These are all sort of uh, facets, if you will, of joy. At its very basic, joy is, as we're going to define it for the sake of our group think here, um, joy is a chemical release of any mixture of endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, etc., these are neurological chemicals that your brain releases in order to allow you to feel joy. Okay, um, this is this is how we're going to come at this. Now, you've probably heard some sermons before about the difference between joy and happiness. And those are good, and those are helpful, and we're really going to kind of get at the same idea here. But for the sake of clarity this morning, I would like to think of joy this way. Rather than think about joy being sort of a deep thing and emotion, and happiness sort of being a shallow thing, I want to say, hey, you know, it's all the same thing. When I get up in the morning and I uh, make my single-origin, pour-over Ethiopian coffee that was roasted three days ago, and I get it ground, um, you know, on click number four, and I give my 105-degree water, and I've weighed 20 grams... You know, it, everything's great, you know, and then I sit on the couch and, and it hits my lips. What am I feeling? Joy. That's joy. Come on, that's joy. Whatever your thing is, you know, whatever, you know, you cook the steak just right and you take a bite and it's, it's joy, okay? That's joy. And then two seconds later, you know, I crack open the word and, and, and as I'm cracking open the word, I, so I look over across the, my, across the living room and I see my wife and she's reading her Bible and I, I, I feel a deep sense of satisfaction about the fact that, man, I have this, this, this wife that's my best friend and we get to read the Bible together in the morning and that's joy, right? And then I open the Bible and I start reading Ephesians 1 and I'm overwhelmed by these truths and the riches of the grace of Christ that are mine and I feel joy. Now, all of those things are joy, right? Joy, 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 joy. What's the difference? The difference is the depth at which that joy is coming from. Okay, and here's where I want to kind of get at this this morning. I want to kind of draw a picture for you in our mind of the joy tree. Okay, so imagine a tree. I want you to think of your joy like a tree, and everyone in here has a different size joy tree. All right, some of you have a very small joy tree. Some of you have a very large joy tree. You know? What makes a tree healthy, what determines a tree's ability to live and to thrive and to succeed and to um, live a long time is the depth and the quality of the root system, right? How deep do the roots go? And so I want you to think about your joy as a root system. The, the joy that you feel, that's just the tree, okay? So that tells you how healthy your tree is, but you've got to think more about the root system. What is my joy rooted in? So what I want to do here this morning, I just want to give you an example. This isn't scientific. I didn't do this in a Petri dish. I don't have, any, I don't have anything to, to say this is scientifically proven, but I'd like to help you think about how we could qualify some of these different layers of joy. 
Okay, different layers of joy that your roots may or may not be rooted in. Layer number one, shallow joys. Nothing wrong with shallow joys. Shallow joys can be good, they can be bad, but they are things like food, fun, sex, um, winning a game. Uh, sometimes you just get a feeling of joy. I mean, it's just going to Disneyland. You find out that you won something. Oh, man, I've got, you know. Um, somebody says a compliment to you. Oh, that makes me feel good. Okay, these are shallow joy. They're temporal joys. They're easy in, easy out. They're the easiest ones to get, right? And that's why we all chase them most of the time. That's why you go to your freezer when you're depressed at 8 o'clock and you open your freezer. You do it. We all do it. You open the entire tub of ice cream and you grab a spoon and you eat the ice cream because it's immediate joy, right? Ah, joy. Now, here's the problem with shallow joy. The problem with shallow joy is it's easy come, easy go. Why? Because that terrible sound when the spoon hits the bottom of the tub and the ice cream is gone and all you're left with is your fat belly knowing that you should not have done that. And then you have guilt and then you think maybe I'm lactose intolerant because I ate the whole tube tub. I'm not speaking from experience. I, I interviewed people to get these examples. Um, <laughs> it's shallow joy, but it's still joy nonetheless, right? But the problem with shallow joy is it's easy come, easy go. It's, and it's usually a place replaced immediately with some sense of guilt or covetousness. I want more. I want more. You know, the first thing I think after I have a really good dinner every time, man, that was really good. I want dessert. It's just like this built-in thing. The problem with shallow joys is that you always want more. And sin, the parasite of sin, and sin is parasitic. It latches on and it, and it feeds off of other things. The parasite of sin lives very comfortably in our shallow joys, doesn't it? Very comfortably. And most of us spend most of our time considering and thinking about how to find shallow joy. It's the American way. There's nothing inherently wrong with shallow joys. We just spend a lot of time thinking about them. The, the tree that is rooted in shallow joy is what? It's not very big. It doesn't live very long. It doesn't have grit. It doesn't survive the winter. Okay? Because there's not really a depth of root system. The second layer I would like you to think of as long-term joys. Okay? These are achievements uh, you could call them an investment joy. These are things that take you a while to get the reward. Okay, some of you guys have worked the same job for 20 or 30 years, and you have tenure now, right? And you, some of you have been working a long time to retire, and there's, there's excitement in that. That, that joy that, that, that you feel from a long-term investment, that's kind of this layer. It's a little deeper. It takes time to get. You know, it's kind of like when you just, like, like I decided years back I was going to run a marathon. I'm like, oh, great, okay, so I spent like six months running like 50 miles a week to prepare for this. And when I crossed the finish line after I cried, like a baby in the fetal position, um, why, why is that funny? <laughs> Have you run a marathon? It's hard. Okay. No, I didn't cry. Or did I? Maybe I did cry. I don't remember. But I crossed the finish line, and I had this instant feel of joy. Why? Because I just completed something I worked really hard for. You know, some of you, it's like you gain mastery in an area. That's a joy. There's a joy in that. Um, this could be raising your children, being able to look at your 30-year-old child and go, wow, you know, we did okay. Uh, this could be having a healthy marriage. I mean, like, man, we've invested in, in each other for so long. We're good friends. We have a healthy marriage. That's, there's satisfaction in there. There's joy in that. And that's good, right? And, and many of us have experienced at least some level of that level of joy, haven't we? Some of you guys have it right now. The problem, though, with this level of joy is 
The problem with this level is, is that it, it is also easily enslaving. It enslaves us easily. Because we can go years and years and years delaying joy, and then once we get there, it's not as satisfying as we thought it was going to be, right? You hit retirement, finally, 35, 40 years of working for that jerk head, and now I'm done, and now I have my RV, and we can go camping, and we can hang out with the grandkids, and I'm empty. Why am I feeling empty? So what do you do? You have to double down on that same joy. You're like, well, that didn't satisfy, so maybe we just need a bigger camper. Maybe we need to retire more. You know, I mean, what is it? The problem with that level of joy is that it doesn't really satisfy you. So, so you can live in long-term enslavement to these ideas. Level three joy, this is, this is a little bit deeper, okay? Quite a bit deeper, actually. Level three joy is what I'd like to call self-sacrificing joy. This, this is joy that's a lot harder to uproot. And that's where you find joy from giving yourself away, Okay? So layer two is more like, oh, I enjoy fellowship and relationship. This is more, I enjoy giving myself away. So some of you that are parents, you've experienced this joy when you poured yourself into your child. Okay, we got two newborn babies here this morning. Okay, the golds are here. Woo! And the Monroes are here. Woo! Okay, you want to talk about self-sacrificing joy. Having a newborn is crazy. I mean, you're on the clock 24-7. Well, the mom is. Okay, um, on the clock 24-7, and there is a joy in that. It's a deep joy. It's a deep joy of self-sacrifice, okay? It's really great. Some people have experienced this in patriotic service, serving your country. Some people have experienced this serving Jesus, going on the mission field, giving your life away. There's deep joy in that. But even at this level, even at this level, it doesn't quite satisfy. Even at this level, sin can still find its way into this joy. The parasite of sin can still come down and poison your root system. Why? Well, because even the joy of sacrifice depends on your ability to create it. So maybe you find deep joy and satisfaction in the fact that you love your wife so sacrificially, but here's the problem. That's all up to you. And at some point, you'll fail. Then what? The problem with this kind of joy, not only is that it depends on your ability, it can also be tainted by selfish motives. You know, many of us love our kids sacrificially, but we also want something in return from that. It's not altruistic. And then we can heap burdens on our kids because, hey, I sacrificed for you. You should come home and see me on the holidays, and you don't. It can easily still be tainted. Even self-sacrificial love on our part can still be tainted. I've I've talked to a lot of people that spent a lot of time on the mission field. Self-sacrifice, giving of themselves. And you know, one of the most empty seasons of their life is when they have to come back to the States and retire. Their bodies won't let them do it anymore. And there's deep emptiness there. Why is there deep emptiness? Because they were living for self-sacrifice, but then at some point you just can't do it anymore. And what are you left with? See guys, listen, our joy must be deeper than this. These are all beautiful things, by the way. Single origin coffee is a beautiful thing. Bagels, pizza, great, okay? Self-sacrifice, beautiful thing. Relationship, meaning, purpose, identity, mission, belonging, mastery. All of these things are beautiful realities that God created. He wants us to find joy in them. But here's the reality. If your root system is only in those things, you do not have the full joy that Jesus is talking about in John 15. The joy that Jesus has for you is deeper and more lasting than the joys I've just listed. So what is it? Layer four. By the way, there could be more layers. I just threw these on here. Don't, don't overthink it. 
But layer four, superior joy, abiding joy. What is this joy? Well, first of all, this joy is not circumstantial. Here's the beautiful thing about it. If you can get your root system down to this level, if you can be a person that lives out of this level of joy, it's beautiful because it's not circumstantial. This joy is rooted in something that the storm doesn't change. There is a tree in California, I think it's called the Methuselah tree. Have you ever seen this? Don't quote me on this, but it's something like four or 5,000 years old. It's crazy old. They don't tell anybody where it is because somebody would go graffiti it or something. This thing has lived for so long. Why? Because its root system is designed in such a way that it needs very little to survive. It needs very little to thrive. Its roots are deep. The person who is rooted in deep joy, their roots are at such a level that it doesn't matter what the the news the doctor just gave you. It doesn't matter what that person just told you. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. You're human. Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Jesus was angry. But it doesn't shake you. It doesn't uproot you. It doesn't cause you to, to, to not be able to live because your root system is deep. Deep joy is not disappointable because what the root system is rooted in is eternal. There's no end. There's no bottom of the ice cream tub. There's no, oh, my kids grew up and now I don't know who I am. There's no, oh, I used to be a missionary and now I'm stuck at home. There's none of that because what this joy is rooted in is eternal. It's never ending. It's bottomless. This joy is not corruptible. Sin cannot enter at this level. It cannot. Why? Because you aren't producing it. If you could produce it, sin would be transported there, just like the ark. Sin got on the ark, and sin was carried into the new world. You can't, sin can't get down here because it has nothing to do with your behavior. It's deeper than that. What joy am I talking about? Open up again, John 15. Jesus tells us. It's very simple, actually. He tells us what this joy is because he says, I'm telling you this. He says, I've spoken, verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. So whatever it is that he's speaking to them is the key to this deep joy. What is the key? First of all, he's talking to them, if you remember in this passage, about the fact that they are a branch and that he is the vine. What that means, first of all, is that he is the life source. And you are just the little stick that holds on. And then he passes life through you. But look at what he says in verse 9. This is the key. The key to deep joy. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me. Notice that Jesus starts not with his love for the Father. Where does he start? He starts with the Father's love for him. Okay, this is where he starts. As the Father has loved me, so now I have loved you. And then he calls them to abide in my love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here is the joy that Jesus wants you rooted in. I'm going to put it in these words because I thought through this sentence. It is the joy of being loved perfectly. By perfection, that's Jesus, even in a state of imperfection. That is true joy. True joy is when you realize that regardless of what I look like, feel like right now, I am loved perfectly by perfection in the perfect way. That is free, true 
deep joy. That realization. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, this love that I experienced before creation, I want you to walk in that love. It's the Trinitarian love of the Godhead. You see, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You know, where did love come from? Have you ever thought about this? Where did love come from? Love came from God. Jesus said God is love, right? So God is, or maybe Jesus didn't say that, but God is love because God is a community. God has eternally loved. Who's he loved? The angels? No, they came later. God has loved himself within the triune relationship of the Godhead. And that love has spilled out now through the person of Christ onto those that have received the gospel. And the love that you find deep and true joy in is the love that Jesus received from the Father and now gives to you an unconditional, unmerited, unearned, undestroyable, I'm just going to put the word un in front of everything, unrustable, unbreakable, you, you name it, love. It's this love that you and I long for in our soul. You long for it. You want to be accepted. That's what you really want. You want to be accepted for who you are regardless of your failures. That's what you long for. It's interesting to me that one of the most terrifying things for people to do in the world is public speaking. Did you know that? It terrifies me every week. You know why I think that is? Because your worst fear is unacceptance. I don't have science to prove that. It's just an assumption. I think your worst fear, one of your worst fears as a human is that you will be rejected. And for that reason, the deepest joy one can experience is to be fully accepted. Not based on your performance, but based on someone else's grace. This is the joy that Jesus wanted them to get. So we've defined joy. Now let's talk about determined joy. I gotta speed up. We, let's talk about determined joy. Determined joy is, is making deep joy, the joy we've just discussed, the primary passion and focus of your life. What I want this morning is I want for us, Philippi Church, for all of you guys here, I want you to think about your week and think how can I funnel every part of my week in such a way that all of my intention is to get to this deep joy. How do I get to that? That's what I want you to do this morning. Listen to this prayer by St. Anselm. He's the 11th century um, theologian. He says, God of truth, I ask that I may receive so that my joy may be complete. Until then, let my mind meditate on it. Let my tongue speak of it. Let my heart love it. Let my mouth preach it. Let my soul hunger for it. Let my flesh thirst for it. My whole being desire it until I enter into the joy of the Lord who is God, three in one, blessed forever. Amen. People don't pray like that anymore. Man, he saw joy as his supreme goal in life. Not shallow joy. The deepest joy the deepest joy of what happens when you enter into a faith belief in the reality of the riches of Christ and it satisfies your soul. That's the kind of joy that's worth pursuing. Determined joy pursues. What are the steps to achieving deep joy? What are the steps? Step one, be born again. You cannot rejoice in something that is not yet yours. You can't. When you are born again, listen, this is important. When you get born again, and you literally do get born again spiritually, when you get born again, the riches of Christ, read Ephesians 1, the eternal 
riches of Christ, everything that is his, is now transferred through a marriage relationship, an adoptive relationship, uses both examples. All of those riches are now yours. If you are not a believer, those riches are not yours. You cannot rejoice in them. You are stuck at the first three layers. And there is nothing at the end of your life but emptiness. Because everything that you lived for will be gone. Your body will be gone. Your joys will be gone. Your ability to enjoy things at some point will be gone. You will be gone. Deep joy starts with the Spirit of God. That is why it is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. The joy that Paul talks about there in the fruit of the Spirit, it's not eating a bagel. It's deep joy. It's spiritual joy. It's soul joy. It's the joy that only, the God, only God can, can bring forth through the believer. So if you want deep joy, and if you're not a believer, step one, you need to be born again. You need the Spirit of God to live within you. You need your new life to begin day one. And then you begin to experience the riches of Christ as your ultimate joy. The second thing you need to do to pursue deep joy, determined joy, is to see past the inferior joys and set your sights on the superior joys. And you need to be able to determine the difference between the two. You need to see past the inferior joys and set your sights on the superior joys. Now, why do so many Christians miss this? You know, Christians, including myself, we have the riches of Christ that have been accredited to us, yet we spend our time feasting on things that can't satisfy. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Listen to this Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Isn't that good? We are far too easily pleased. John Piper said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The reason we are so easily satisfied without deep joy is because we are addicted to shallow joy. There is a reason when you watch a Netflix series that it goes to the next one before you have time to say, I'm done. It's because we are addicted to shallow pleasure in our culture. It sells every time. It always sells. The Christian is to say, I will not settle for shallow joys. Deep joy is my precedent. Deep joy is my goal. Deep joy is what will drive me. That is to be how we are to live. Deep joy is this. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus tells the parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven, which is the riches of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went into a field, and the implication of the story is that the man was a hired worker, which means he doesn't make much money. And the man goes into a field, and he's working some other man's field, probably not a very valuable field, otherwise he wouldn't have had the money to buy it. He's working this field, and his plow for the 50th time that day hits something, and he assumes it's a rock, and he gets down on his knees, and he digs it out, and he pulls it out, and he opens it, and it's a box with more money in it than he could have made in 50 lifetimes. What does he do? He's overwhelmed with joy. Jesus is telling this parable. He's overwhelmed with joy. He runs home, and he tells his wife, hey, we're going to sell everything we have and buy the field. 
And his wife thinks you're insane, and everyone thinks you're insane. And he says, no, you don't understand. The treasure in the field is all that matters. It's all that I care about. My mud hut that I spent so many hours making prior, it's garbage now. That's what Paul the Apostle says. I count it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. He is the supreme joy. And when you see him as the supreme joy, you are willing to let go of inferior joys. I'm not preaching a monastic gospel here. I'm not saying let's go live, you know, as monks. God's okay with you having a bowl of cereal. God's okay with you going to the park with your kids, going on high. He loves for you to enjoy those things. What God wants for you, though, is he wants you to be rooted in the deepest of joys first. And listen, this deep joy thing that I keep talking about, it's not a do. It's a believe. Do you understand that? Maybe you're thinking, okay, Sam, I want that joy. How do I get that joy? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? That question is not going to get you there. It's not a do. It's a belief. The deep joy I'm talking about is a, a belief that something is yours. The riches of Christ are yours. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you enjoy it? Psalm 1. I just, we got to go there really quick. I'm just going to read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the word or the realities of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters and yields its fruit in its seasons. Its leaf doesn't wither. All that he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's what the psalmist was getting at here in Psalm chapter 1. He says, the person whose mind is fixed, whose soul is satisfied, whose appetites are full on the riches and the realities of Christ are, he's like a tree that cannot be moved. That's what I want to be. I want to be the one that when I get that call, I'm a rock. And that doesn't mean I weep, don't weep. It doesn't mean I don't feel. It doesn't mean I'm not scared. It doesn't mean I don't get angry. But it means that like Christ, even though he sweat drops of blood, he still obeyed because his feast was on the love of the Father, not on the praises of men and not on the avoidance of a beating. Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews 12 says, because of the joy that was set before him. He saw the joy of obeying Father, who is the Father who is the supreme riches. He saw that as a superior joy to being nailed to a cross. I don't know about you, but fear is a pretty severe motivator. Jesus is greater. The Father is greater. That's, that's what Hebrews is trying to say. What happens when you are rooted in supreme joy is that you are willing to suffer because you see the suffering that you go through as road-building material in order to get you to deeper joy. That's what James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. The person who is deeply rooted in joy is okay with suffering. It's not easy. Doesn't mean you enjoy it, but your joy is rooted below it. Circumstances don't affect this level of joy. You could take everything from me in my life. You could take everything from me, but you cannot take the riches of Christ. And if my joy is satiated in the riches of Christ, no one can touch me. How do Christians sit on their knees about to be beheaded and choose to obey Jesus rather than live? How else do you explain this? It's a supernatural reality. Because your treasure is where your heart is. 
and your treasure is in heaven, this world can't touch you. It's deep joy. It's the joy that we ought to be living for. The beauty of this, and don't miss this, this is important. The beauty of this is that God wants you, Christian, to rethread your joy. Think about the layers. Rethread your joy. Start at the bottom and work your way back up. The other joy layers are so much more enjoyable when you start with the gospel. You will love your kids in a way that you could never love them before when you are satisfied in the Lord because you don't need anything from them. You'll love other Christians in a way that you never could before when you're satisfied because you don't need anything from them. You will enjoy food and pleasure so much more when you have started with the gospel because you don't need anything from it. I can just enjoy it. It's a gift. It's a freebie. I'm good. Paul said, I've learned how to abound and how to have nothing. Seasons of drought, seasons that are hard, seasons that it doesn't matter, I, I'm satisfied in Christ. This should be our goal as Christians. God's joy, God's pleasure, God's desire is to give us all the layers of joy. He wants us to have all of them. He wants us to have meaningful relationships and mission and purpose and intangible experiences. He wants us to eat our food to the glory of God and go to Disneyland for the glory of God. But he wants those things to be a gift to you, not a slave master. And the only way that happens is if you enter into those pleasures through the cross, through the gospel, finding yourself fully satisfied in Jesus first. Are you with me? That's the sanctified believer. Okay, we have two minutes. I want to talk about decoding your joy. Decoding your joy. And what I mean by that is, is you need to be joy examiners this week. This is the call. This is the imperative. Um, because you, whether you realize it or not, most of your behavior is probably being driven by a joy desire. Okay? Most of your behavior is probably, most of what you're doing is because you believe that it'll make you happy at some point, at some level. Or it will keep you from going through suffering at some level. What you need to do is you need to ask yourself, what's driving me? What do I believe is going to make me happy? And how is that driving my behavior? And is it supreme? Is it sufficient? Or is it deficient? Ask yourself these questions. What joy is your driver in life right now? Is it superior joy or inferior joy? Maybe it's your career. Maybe your career is consuming you. Why? Because you think that's where joy is. What are you touchy about? What joy layer is your anxiety or anger attached to? When you're in a bad mood, it could be because something's threatening your joy. If something's threatening your joy, it's not deep enough. Can I say that again? If something is threatening your joy, it's not deep enough because nothing can affect the joy that we have in the gospel. How much of what makes you get through your day are short and temporal pleasures? What do you look to when sadness comes? What do you do at 3 p.m.? That's, that's the question. Oh, I don't get off for another two hours. I'm so depressed. I hate my life. What do, you do, what do you do when you feel sad? What do you do when you feel depressed? What do you reach for? Is it the riches of Christ? Or is it something less sufficient? How much of your day's mental bandwidth is spent dwelling on what is rather than what ought to be? The beauty of rejoicing in the gospel is it's just it is rather than I want it to be different. 
It's a beautiful thing. Uh, many of you in here, because you're humans and because you're Christian, including myself, struggling with sin. Sin is part of the Christian walk. We have to learn how to deal with this thing called sin. And I would suggest to you that what I've just told you, what the, what the scripture has just uh, made very clear to you, is the answer to overcoming sin. More than fear, more than guilt, more than depression or anxiety or frustration or grit or stick to or religion or discipline. All of those things are superior or inferior motivators to deal with your sin. The only thing that will let you, the only thing that will allow you to let go of the joy you think you'll get from your sin is a more superior joy. When you start enjoying Christ more than you enjoy your sin, you will stop sinning. When you start to, to value the connectivity that you have with him over that immediate thing, you will sacrifice that immediate thing for him. I believe it is the answer to truly being set free. I want to talk about joy stealers, and then we're going to end. I'm going to give them to you really quick. Nine joy stealers. These are things that are warring against your joy. I just want you to be aware of them. Some of them we've already talked about. Number one, an anorexic view of the sovereign providence of God. What I mean by that is that when something goes wrong in your life, do you see that rubble in your life as road-building material to deeper joy, as James would call us to see? Or do you just let it completely wreck you? If you have a high view of God's sovereign providence, that means he's working in the mud. He's working in the mess. If you, if you believe that, then something goes wrong. You go, hey, God, you're doing something here. I think Brian talked about that last week with our anger, right? Number two, joy stealer, comparison. Comparison. Looking around. How come my life's not like his? How come my life's not like hers? Comparison is a joy stealer. It's a joy stealer because it's assuming that God loves that person more than they love you because they gave you that and they gave them something better, at least you think. Okay? That's a joy stealer. Number three, a trained obsession with momentary pleasures. Did you know that you have plasticity in your mind? I mean, you can train your mind to do what you tell your mind to do. Okay? So if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is get on social media, guess what? Your body now knows to do that. If you want deeper joy, start training your body to pursue deeper joy. Get in the habit of opening your Bible. You know, there's this kind of cool thing that this just happened naturally is whenever I drink coffee in the morning, I instantly want to pull my Bible out. It's like the two have become one. It's like, it's like Pavlov's dog, you know, I'm like, coffee, Bible. It's like the two come together. And so, and you better believe I'm getting coffee in the morning, right? So, so train yourself for superior joys and, and, and stop training yourself for momentary pleasures, I'm not going to have time to get through all these. Just a couple more. Shallow think. Shallow thinking is an enemy of your joy. Listen to this. Big joy takes big thoughts about the big grace of a big God. Amen? Big joy takes big thoughts about the big grace of a big God. If you're not experiencing joy in the gospel, it's because you're not thinking about it. And I don't mean that you're going to be running around all the time, everything's roses, nothing's ever hard. I'm just saying that if, if, you're, if you can't stop in the moment and go, man, the gospel is good news for me, then you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. For some of you, there are very simple, physical, removable, disciplined barriers in your life that are, that are actually keeping you from deep joy. There are things that you can actually remove. You actually have the power to remove them. And, and it's not removing them that's going to give you joy, but removing them will give you the access to the joy of the Lord. Amen? And lastly, I'll just say this. The psalmist calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an imperative. 
The Bible calls us to rejoice. Rejoice is the verb form of joy. When the Bible calls you to rejoice, it's calling you to believe something that is unchanging. And that's my challenge for you this week, guys. This isn't a five-step, you know, way to make your life better. The call is always the same. It's the same call every week. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. It's not just for non-believers. Believe the gospel. You want joy? Believe the gospel. Let the gospel be the supreme thing that your mind thinks about all day long, and it will bring you deep and lasting joy. Don't settle for anything less. Let joy be your supreme motivator. Amen? I want to end just by reading Paul's words in Colossians, and then we're going to break into circles. Listen to what Paul says. He prays this exact thing over the church at Colossae. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae is my prayer for you this morning and that is that you would believe in that reality and that that you would root your joy in that reality and that it would sustain you through whatever life brings your way. Let me rephrase that. Whatever God brings your way. Because there are things coming down the pike. How deep are your roots? How deep are your roots this morning? Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you are concerned for our joy and that you don't want us to settle for inferior joys. You want our roots to be in the deepest of delights. Lord, this morning as we turn our attention to circles and conversation, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through each of us that we'd be able to minister to one another, to listen to one another, to work through these questions together. Father, make us a church that feeds itself, that is a body that's, that's, that sustains itself. Lord, help us to do uh, what the scripture commands, Lord, to encourage one another, stir one another up to love and good works. Lord, help us to preach the gospel over each other, Father. We pray for a, a deep and trusting vulnerability even within our groups, Lord, that we could, we could trust each other to be able to talk through these things, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.